All right. Welcome once again to the SEM podcast. Jack and Zach are back again. Today we're with the legend himself, the famous Ren Hardy. Ren Hardy, brother. What's up, guys? Good to so, see you. What, what part of the world are you coming? Are you calling from tonight? I live in Phoenix now. I live in a, a little town north of Phoenix called Carefree. It's a little Carefree. horse town, I guess. Kind of okay. eclectic. Nice. Yeah, it's filled with like, it's filled with like, like, like rednecks, bikers, and then like hippies with crystals. You know what I mean? And which one of those are you? <laughs> I, I'm what we call like a. Uh, I would call myself like a right wing hippie. If that was a thing. Okay. Love to hear Probably the best description, right wing hippie. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I mean, times have changed, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have you on. We appreciate you taking time. Um, I'm guessing from our conversation on the phone, you've been listening to the podcast and kind of got the essence of the format. Um, we'll talk pre-mission, your decision to go on a mission, and then uh, your reaction going to Scotland talk about life since then after that and then we'll go back to the mission so you're up Ren. i'm up hit you with the backstory so yeah backstory was i was a wild ass dude growing up before a mission i don't think that's like surprising <laughs> i guess um you know i like to fight and party was basically the situation and then uh, I ended up joining a fraternity, my freshman college, probably the most fun I've ever had. And then, um, I don't know, I just, I actually wasn't that into the mission thing. And I told my mom, well, I had been trolling my mom for several years that I didn't think the devil was real. I thought it was just an excuse that people made for ruining their own lives. And uh, I mostly did that because she has the personality where she's like flabbergasted and frustrated and can't understand how somebody that grew up in the church, like wouldn't share her exact faith-based worldview. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I enjoyed that friction because that's what I like to do is spin people up and poke them. And like, I totally dig all that stuff. So <laughs> that's what I did to my mom for a couple of years straight. Um, and then, uh, and then I went, to college, my dad wrote me this letter. I think it was probably one of those inspired dad moments, but he, he wrote me a letter and said, look, dude, I don't care if you go on a mission or not. I just care that you came to that conclusion the right way. And so he said, here's my ask. And it was a fair ask. And, and I'm a sucker for like a reasonable, fair request. Uh, he actually asked me, he said, hey, as long as you like pray about it, fast about it, and you're coming from a worthy place. And then, you know, if you still don't feel like you should go, like, don't. I'm fine with that. Well, you know, it was a trick. Because if you do all that stuff, it's you end up going. <laughs> now that I know that, it wasn't a fair ask, and he was he was doing some magic. You know what I mean? Oh, dear. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, that, that's the long and short of it. Um, I ended up uh, reading the letter. I took him up on that. I read the book of Enoch uh, one night in my dorm room. And uh, I realized that that was like the story of how I felt about most of the things in the church. 
And to this day, that that story about Enoch, like who he was and what he had to kind of go through to figure it out, resonates really deeply with me on a spiritual level. So, um, yeah, man, that totally changed my worldview. I like was like, well, I guess I'm going. <laughs> and I put my papers in, and uh, that took some time. I didn't like the way my state president asked me questions, so he made me come back several times because we got in an argument in his office. And then uh, I went on a mission. <laughs> Hardcore Hardy at his best, right there. I didn't like the assumption framework. You can't just be like, "When was the last?" Like, oof. I was pretty much like, "You, bro." Oh dear, you don't get to throw accusatory questions in my face like that. That's not how this works. It's a yes or no question. And, I love uh, it. I pushed back, and and I would consider it a exuberant and immature male way, right? So <laughs> he would be. The state president at the time was like on the board for Comcast. <laughs> Very oh. successful, hyper intelligent guy. Uh, I, I think I consider myself very fortunate to have learned from him in that short period of time of like these meetings where he and I would have friction because I wasn't. And he was the kind of personality that kind of took it head on and didn't get flustered or upset or irritated wow. by it. And uh, yeah. I learned a lot from it. So I was really grateful. Interesting. And then what uh, time frame wise, when did you enter the MTC? Remind us. October 4th, some year after 2014, I think. <laughs> after 2014? Yeah, no. I think you graduated from high school in like 2014. No, you no. didn't. 2004? 2004, there you go. That one. 2004. <laughs> and then like... I went on a mission like, I don't know, like 2005, 2006. Yeah, that's like... right. <laughs> I didn't want to age myself. I was giving myself a 10-year bump. You guys mm -hmm. just called it out on the carpet hard. So we, don't, <laughs> we don't interview people who are 2014 graduates. Yeah. You don't, look for them, you don't look for them young missionaries coming home all like juiced up and those 20, fresh 2014. Man, they're, they're very much uh, excited about the mission still. We have, a, we have a plan to turn that over to some other young whippersnapper. That's right. <laughs> dude, I, I, I like talking to the young people, dude. I really dig it. Yeah. So right. yeah, anyway, I went on a mission. Uh I struggled there. Um I struggled with the whole MTC thing. Um I re I met President Nelson there right after he'd married his new wife, or his then new wife after his, his other wife had passed away and deceased. Um but yeah, I really struggled with like feeling worthy, I think, because even though I did all the stuff and I went through the things and I did this stuff. It was, it was very difficult to like come to that conclusion where like Man, people are really gonna listen to me about this stuff. Like it's like, I'm like still want to punch people out like constantly. And I just was like, some of these missionaries I think are idiots and I'm struggling because I'm like frustrated and I'm not like an easygoing person and I'm very hyper. And it was just like, I don't know if I should be here. Like, are you, are you sure that like, I'm like, ask God, are you hundred percent positive that you meant what I thought you meant when I felt those things and I was reading the book. Right. And then the mission president called me just out of the blue and I was like, this is it. I'm going home. Somebody, somebody, uh, you know, somebody suing the church for like an a whooping and I didn't need, I didn't remember it or something. You know what I mean? And I was wrong. He was, he was filled with the spirit and he pulled me aside and said, brother Hardy, I just feel compelled to tell you that you, 
you're forgiven and worthy to be here out of nowhere. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess I don't have an excuse to go home. <laughs> so, yeah, I stuck it out, man. I had a great mission. It was a lot of fun. I was in there with Elder Peacock. And, you know, he could sing and he could do all the Mormon stuff. And he had like this, you know, mature testimony and understood what was going on. And I was just like kind of like trying to stay under the radar a little bit. I love it. And uh, kind of looked up to him for it. That's awesome. Well, before we dive too deep into the mission, tell us about what life's been like since you've been home from your mission, uh, October, 2007 or so. Is that when it was? Uh-huh. Wow. Man, that is something else. Uh, <laughs> so I came home from the mish and went back to the frat house and, you know, I helped a couple of kids go through the initiation process, provided them some expert guidance, tutelage, and advice. Um, I started dating like rapidly and tried to make out with like every chick in America, if I could. Oh, uh, I was not that successful at it, but I was pretty cocky. So I felt like I was, but I probably wasn't. If I really look back and I'm honest with myself, like I had boundaries and limits, you know? Kind of ruined some of my game. And then, uh, you know, I dated this this one girl for a, for a long time. And she didn't get along with my family very well. And uh, we broke up after, like, kind of like this two-year on and off thing. And I was just kind of, you know, hanging out again, meeting new gals. And I met my wife, who just um, – started working like a side job as the ticketing person at a country dancing place. And I was like, what's up, Betty? Remember that time we used to hang out? And she was like, yeah, I remember you freshman in college. Like, I don't know if I really want to talk to you. You weren't, you weren't that nice of a dude. (laughs) 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 It took her like seven years. I took her, I had taken my wife on a date freshman year of college. I took her to a fraternity formal. Right. And I, I mean, I had a great time. I had a blast. Apparently, was not a shared great time. It was like <laughs> me having a great time and her like kind of being present to my great time, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> and it took her like seven years to forget that date. It took her seven years to get over. She was like, nah, it took her seven years. And then we went on our second date and we were married nine months later. Oh my God. I didn't have a baby. Okay. We just got <laughs> married. That's normal. Jeez. <laughs> that's that's Mormon timeline. <laughs> I mean, dude, if you once you make a decision, you gotta go. You got a short window, man, and those hormones are churning. It's like, yeah. hey, I lock it down, bro. I don't got a choice. I'm gonna get this done quick. That's awesome. Nobody's got that kind of self-discipline, dude. <laughs> Ain't nobody got it. <laughs> so uh, so then, yeah, we got married. We've been married for 13 years, I think, now. We've got three kids. It's awesome. Uh, she was probably the only reason I graduated from college in any kind of timely fashion because there's paperwork and administrative duties required to graduate from college, and I'm not good at those things. Uh, so she helped uh, kind of help me get my crap together, I guess. I mean, and we ended up having, you know, three awesome little dudes 
One's eight. We just got baptized six months ago, I want to say. And then I got a uh, a six-year-old who is why I think the devil was a second son. Second born, you know what I mean? Birth order style. Jeez, and then I have a year and a half year old that is a flaming ginger. No way. And my yeah, my so my wife's half Japanese, so she's got like that dark olive skin and the the, the dark hair and stuff. And we made this like redheaded baby, and I'm just like dominant genetic material, right? <laughs> How does that even happen? The odds of that statistically is ridiculous. Like less than three percent could be a redhead, and I did that on top of like Japanese genes. It's like, bro, that's what we call alpha status, right? That's the real stuff. So yes, yeah, so we have a couple of them. My middle son, I, I tease, I, I call him that just because he's a little more like I was. He's just higher energy, higher drive, like a little more intense. And my older son is like stoic. He doesn't cry and he doesn't laugh. He just stoic like my wife is. So I should take that back because he's he's a, he's a very uh, he's a very good little kid. <laughs> All right. Um, so what else do you guys want to know, man? I mean, that's the high level beats. Well, I mean, I what, what, have, what, have you been up, like, what have you been up to job wise? Where have you lived? You've been in Arizona forever. Tell us about that. Well, we moved around a little bit. I, I out of college, I got accounting degree. And then I bailed on an internship because um, I hated it. Just everything about like doing accounting and like hanging up people to do spreadsheets and like accounting people are kind of weird a little bit and I'm super, you know, and so it was not, it was not an ideal place, but I got the degree because my family went bankrupt pretty hardcore in like 2008 timeframe. Cause they're all, my parents were home builders mm. and my sister was on a mission. And so I was working as a janitor at night and then I was working at a bank during the day so that I could pay for my school and help supplement her mission a little bit. And uh, no joke, it was the only degree that I like thought sounded marketable that I could take like two exams and now I didn't have to do homework and projects and crap like that that I don't like to do. So I'm not good at it, but I'm good at taking tests. So there you have that. And uh, that didn't work out. So I ended up at a call center with like, this dude that had a ponytail down to his like upper butt, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. like those thick braids, it's like a tiny little Asian dude, he was like five, three. And he had gotten dishonorably discharged for the Navy because he was such a, like a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Oh dear. Wow. Most fun job. I've had. It's the most <laughs> fun job I've ever had. <laughs> Hanging out just uh, kind of like these scabby people. And he sounded, I mean, they sounded like really ghetto, right? <laughs> And then, and then they'd get on the phone and be like, "Hey, Sherry, this is uh, this is Mark, giving you a call." I'm like, what happened? <laughs> it was the wildest job I ever had, man. I loved it, everything about it. Oh gosh! And then, um, and then I, I needed a real job, <laughs> so I started calling my fraternity buddies. And one of them was working at a place called Proofpoint, and uh, I ended up working over there as a BDR, which is the same as working in a call center. It's just you know got more of a businessy title and right. and a potential upside in there right but it's the same and then uh and then i kind of got promoted out until i was a field rep covering major accounts and i specialized in instant response for rsa for a long time and sold a lot of really big accounts doing that helping people i don't know design their security operations stuff so now i'm just kind of like a hardcore cyber 
software sells, dude, because that's all I've sold for the last 12, 13 years. It's uh, it's not that fun of a job. I'm not going to lie to you. No, it's, it's an awful job. You call people, and then you go visit them, and then you see if they want to buy stuff, and you uh, you you invite yourself to be a project manager that nobody asked for, and like irritate everybody, and it's just like a constant, never-ending bundle of stress and nightmares. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's what I do. But if I change, it's like I'm not going to make any money doing anything else. Like, what else could I do? I don't have any skills. <laughs> I like got rid of all the skills to go do this thing. And now I'm here and I hate it. So what do you do? You just you keep grinding through. You just keep grinding. I talked to a bishop. He was a dentist. He said the same thing to me. I, I was like, dude, I'm having a crisis. I hate what I do. Nothing is fun. Like, what is happening? This sucks. He's like, I know. I had the same thing. I went to school, became a dentist, realized I hate being a dentist. I'm still a dentist. He's like, you just kind of grind through it. And you just... You pray that God will teach you to love something you hate. I was like, sounds like good advice. Take it. <laughs> sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, it sounds like and I coach been... football. Yeah. And football. That's another thing. Yeah, there's a little bit of a lag starting. Man. No, you're I'm good. I'm having an internet lag with you. So I keep cutting you off, but it's just because I couldn't hear you talking. No, you're good. Tell us more about football and coaching. I coach flag football for my two sons. Um, it's pretty fun. Six-year-olds like running football is pretty cute, funny stuff. I don't know if I have the chops to like, like be a competitive coach, but I do it. <laughs> it. You know, it's like a game for me, and we, you know, I make jokes and hang out with the kids. It's pretty cool. So, but outside of that, dude, I I feel like my life is the same boring thing as everybody else. No, I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> One day you'll grow a mean mustache and you'll be the coolest coach that any kid could ever imagine. I could just, I could just see it. Like, oh, you, yeah. I wish I had a mustache. I could grow like a nice mustache. Let's see how none of my facial hair connects. I have too much white trash <laughs> DNA. It's just like none of my facial. It's like grew in like these kind of trashy patches. Awful. <laughs> I've accepted it, but it's just, you know, that's why you get married young when your stock's high because your body shape changes. And then like you realize you don't go cool facial hair as you get older. You're just like, dude, whatever. Babe, I got, I got married when my stock was my highest and you're still getting hotter. This is crazy luck. <laughs> crazy luck. All right, Red, take us back to the mission and uh, you can go back to the MTC if you like, or go straight to the mission home. But tell us more about your experience there, your companions, areas you served in. Yeah, so I served in like Edinburgh, Glasgow, the Shetlands, and then that was it. So I only served in three spots. I stayed in each spot a wildly long time. I don't think I had a transfer that was less than six months. Oh. And uh, I had um, Elder Blake Bockhold for a super duper long time. And he was a great guy. Because he did a lot of the organizational things and was in charge, and I don't like responsibility. It's one of my least favorite things about being an adult. <laughs> and uh, he used to kind of do a lot of that. He was a he was kind of an odd duck when I first met him. It's a little awkward. 
little stiff and very like formal and very eager and uh and had a good sense of humor and he was really into woodworking which is something that i've gotten into as i got older now actually I'd, my dad was a trim carpenter so i do a lot of woodworking at home and i i do it for stress management so i don't make anything nice i did build this though looks good yeah, it looks pretty nice yeah. made it out of cedar fence picket we're on sale for a dollar a piece <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but Blake Bockle was around. He was he wasn't my first. Ashley Devine was my first companion. Okay. He was the one that was meant to school me. So I met the Vreens and I thought how oddly tall they were. I mean, my first thought was like, good good night. Two people that tall? I mean, were their kids like seven feet tall? <laughs> like, what are the odds of that? And why does she always leave the cabinets open? <laughs> always. Do you guys not notice that? I I don't Very think it, I don't think so. No, didn't spend that much time there. <laughs> and she had a piggy nose thing. Remember the piggy nose thing? Yeah. And I was just like, to crack that old lady. I've never had like that, like uh, really like churchy relief society humor, mom. Right? Like my mom's just the snile. She's wired. Like she didn't do beautiful centerpieces, mm -hmm. and she was a terrible cook. So it was like, like this lady's adding cream to cereal. What are you doing? We does that. It tastes it like this is awesome. How come my mom never did this for me? Probably would have been huge. Instead, <laughs> I got relegated like this kind of stocky five nine that nobody likes. And anyway, so we go from there. I meet Ashley Devine, and I thought his name's Ashley. He's got to be the hardest dude like this side of San Quentin, you know. <laughs> and he was like kind of a chubby English dude that talked funny. And I'm like, uh, and he's from Nottingham. And so there we are. And, and the first thing I do is jump on a train and then we ride a boat across the channel instead of flying because Ashley likes it and it saves just a little cheaper, but it's like a 14 hour ferry and the waters are rough. Yeah. Like people falling off their beds and stuff kind of rough. <laughs> all these huge swells i was there going like holy crap dude we're gonna die i'm not gonna make it past the like we're we're not gonna make it like it was just and and the water in that strait is super duper cold all year round it's like way way freezing so even when fishermen go out to fish they have to wear protective suits so if they fall in that they have you know enough time before they get hypothermia for people to get them out yeah and so you know uh, I was very uncomfortable <laughs> on the boat, getting motion sick. It's, it was awful. And he was having a blast. He's like, check it out outside. Look at the cool waves. This is so fun. What an adventure. Let's go check something else out. I'm like, no, I don't want to do any of those things. Why would I want to do any of those things? The boat's moving all over the place. There's probably a bunch of people like falling, puking. There's probably crap everywhere. I'm not going. I'm laying right here. <laughs> Jeez. So. What an experience to start to off your mission. Oh, my oh gosh. right. It was just That's these insane. waves in a boat. It was something. Something. We got to the Shetlands, and I arrive in the middle of winter. So it's light out like two hours a day. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm like, crappy boat ride, and I show up in the dark, and it's always dark. And it's windy as a mofo. It's like... 
85 mile, 85 mile an hour winds and crazy stuff like that. Planes are blown over. It's not uncommon for a semi truck to just get straight blown off the freeway. (laughs) I'm like, this is uh, like, how are we going to knock doors in this kind of kind of junk? But, you know, we kind of did. And the whole island had been tracked out a hundred times. And the only person that had been baptized in a very long time was this old sweet lady that had joined us from the Baptist church. And that like spun the whole island out that they had lost this nice Baptist lady to the Mormons. Hmm. So every door we knocked on was a little bit like, not that cool with you. <laughs> and, and, it, and it was dark and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a wild experience driving on the wrong side of the road. The fish and chips though were better there than I've ever had in my whole life. Anywhere else in the world, anywhere else in Scotland, the Shetland was better because they were so fresh. They would catch that day from the boats down to the dock that you could see them walk the bucket of fresh fish up to the chippy. And then, uh, and then at night, if you came by late, they knew they were going to have more fresh fish in the morning. So you'd get a, you'd, you'd get, double portion for the regular price because it was like we got to get rid of the fish we're, we're going to get a whole new bunch of fresh fish in the morning it's awesome <laughs> it does sound awesome. pretty good <clears throat> oh yeah it was phenomenal and then uh you know we had these cool families there in that ward because it was a branch or it was a branch we had basically two really good priesthood holders there with good families uh one guy that I don't know if he was like always the most active guy, but he loved to mow the lawn at the ward. And then, you know, he's getting a little bit older. His body doesn't work right anymore because that's what happens. You know, knees start giving out and whatnots. He slipped and fell pushing the lawnmower, and that kind of offended some people and uh, offended him specifically. And he stopped coming to church for a while. We used to go visit that family quite a bit because he, couldn't get over his hurt feelings of this this calling job that he had of maintaining the church building. It gave him a purpose and fulfillment was something he was not allowed to do for liability reasons because he he fell trying to mow the lawn. My gosh! And that is Scotland mission. That's the Scotland mission in an entire nutshell from one territory. That's <laughs> everywhere you go to. There's somebody pissed about nonsense, right? That's true. Everywhere you go to, there's some dude who was offended in '95. Because somebody from the pulpit said something they didn't like during a fasted testimony meeting, and they're not coming back until they get a, a written apology. And the other dude is like, "Well, he can go himself a day. I ain't do not, you know." <laughs> That's Scotland in a nutshell. And then you knock on a bunch of doors, and they're still pissed about a Protestant war that you have nothing to do with. <laughs> is that is was that your experience? I mean, yeah, we ran into plenty of people that were that were not happy about one person, that one person that was not that was still there, or at least <laughs> or at least maybe they were still there, right? And you know, we were just like, okay, well, you could come back and try again. And of course, there was never that resolve like you like you suggested. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Tell us about the the car wreck. Yeah. Oh, man, I don't even remember that very well anymore. Well, Divine Divine shared about it, and uh, he said it was pretty crazy. Well, I know, but I, 
I think for him it was crazy, but for me it was like, I don't know. I had put myself, like after my mission, I put myself in a wheelchair for a while, racing mountain bikes. And I couldn't get up the stairs to my like crappy hovel of an apartment right next to the University of Utah. And my now wife happened to live in a place that was like a duplex and had like a wheelchair ramp that I could shimmy up and make it to a place to sleep and go to the bathroom, you know? And so I slept on her couch for like three months until I could, you know, wash my own armpits. And so I think it was like an English patient love story, to be honest, where she was just like, this dude's pathetic. And I've just nursed this baby back to health. I'm going to marry this, this thing I need to save and help. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you're, way better looking than anybody I've hung out with. So obviously I'm going to milk this and we should totally get married because this is the only time your standards are going to be this low. And so <laughs> we, we got, we got married for that. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is divine thought it was crazy. And I was like, I don't know, felt like a normal car accident. And for an adrenaline freak, it just seemed like, well, Flip a coin. This is the most righteous I'm ever going to be. I hope we end it now. <laughs> my best <laughs> shot of getting to the big show. Oh my gosh. Oh right. dear. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad yes, it didn't end. I'm glad it didn't end at that it point. Didn't end there. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. I mean, if you look back, like the car would look pretty hammered, all the airbags deployed, but we were fine. I mean, we walked out and nobody, I wasn't even sore the next day. Wow. You know, it must've been divine, pro- but the car looked hammered enough that you would have thought that somebody could have gotten hurt. And I think, I think Mr. Divine calling a man, Ashley is still a little uncomfortable for me, <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that. dude. He was a, he was a, he was a good hearted guy and he was a, he was a good person. I think um, when he first came out, I just didn't think he was, he was ready yet for like what that was. Um, but I have just a tremendous amount of respect for what he did, like going home, coming back, going through all of that and the kind of courage and, um, you know, fortitude and the kind of faith and commitment that is, I mean, that's, I actually think it's harder in a lot of ways then do have gone through it the right way and not experience that like social, the cultural adversity and the personal friction and all of this stuff that goes with it, where it'd be easier to wipe your hands and walk away at that point sometimes than it is to come back and do the right thing. So yeah, we got to really admire and love that story. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, yeah, we didn't, my, my biggest memory with him was there was a place, a town that we drove all the way out to go see called Klaus de Twat. And I wanted a photo. So I went to Klaus de Twat to get a photo with Ashley Devine on a P day. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, come on. Even as a missionary, you'd be like, that's pretty funny. And it's a Gaelic <laughs> word. I don't know what it means, but it seems really similar to a word that I probably shouldn't say. It was pretty good. So we drove out there, took a picture. And when we were driving back, we saw this old lady in one of those motorized scooters. You know what I'm talking about? Like the grocery cart scooter yeah. things. Uh-huh. She had a big flag and a yellow vest on, and she was holding them all the traffic in Shetland town, driving down the middle of the street. Like I'm going home and I don't care how many people this is pissing off. 
Jeez. I took a photo. I took a photo of her as my favorite picture from the mission. <laughs> <laughs> an old lady just driving like she doesn't give a f. She's holding up traffic all through town, right down the middle of Main Street, just like flag and just driving. <laughs> Jeez. That's Scottish lady, probably seventy years old. Just I don't care. I'm driving right here in the middle of the street. I'm going to the chippy place around the corner. <laughs> Wow. Right? It's amazing. Yeah, what did I do after that? After that, I went with McLeod. I think it was Garrett McLeod after that. And we were we were in a foursome for a minute. With Elder Mace, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And what was the other elder there? It was an American kid. But it was only for one transfer, and then it was uh just me and, and McLeod. And he was a very long time companion for me too. I think I had him for two or three transfers. Okay. But we had a we had a, we had a phenomenal time. Phenomenal. From you what know, uh from our I, conversation I'd with wake him up. our conversation with Garrett, he said that that was when the term was coined hardcore hardy. Do you remember that? Yes, that would be <laughs> that would be a McLeod statement. Yeah. He didn't like, he didn't like the, like, we're going to get up at, at six 30 and we are going to exercise hard for 30 minutes. And then we're going to read books and stuff and we're going to talk about it. We're going to do all the things. And then I'm going to walk your legs off your body because that's what I thought it was like. My parents were contractors. You know what I mean? I grew up yeah. framing houses when I was a kid and I framed houses in the morning so I'd go to football practice on time. So I'd like be there at four and then go to football practice and then go sweep out a house at night or something. So like, you know, my family's like, Hey, that's, you know, Jesus just wants you to do like really aggressive, hardworking things. Right. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just, we're just, gonna, we're going to knock 6,000 doors. And I'm going to stop every single person in the world. And he was just like, dude, dude, we are not going to go knocking during the world cup during a regular game time for the world cup you were going to get shot and he was right about that by the way i have never seen people so hostile as that that was a big mistake <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> garrett told us a story about uh, you going under a fence or through a hole in the fence and <laughs> cutting your head can you tell us your side of that story yeah well, yeah, I mean, he's a liar. <laughs> he broke a commandment. <laughs> he told me it looked fine. Caught my face on a fence, trying to dip underneath it, caught it, you know, on that cut barbed wire that the chavs like to cut into the barbed wire so they can sneak through random places. And then uh, I was like, hey, man, this really stings like in the wind. It's, like, it's windy and it stings a lot. And he's like, I'm like, is it bleeding? He looks at it. He's like, no, nah, man, it looks fine. Can't even see anything. We go and knock. Like, we, we walk another probably two blocks because I think we've tracked it everywhere to the, to the flat. And so we're walking. I'm like, man, this thing is stinging like a son of a gun. What is going on? I keep touching it, but no, no blood's coming away. It just seems kind of like that clear whatever. Well, we finally get to a door and knock on it, and the lady opens it. First thing out of her mouth is like, oh, good. Sweet night. What happened to your face, boy? You know, like one of those. 
like, and I look at him like, there you I was so mad at him. It's like my friend here told me he looked fine. She goes, it's bleeding. <laughs> Looks like he's dripping dead in your face. I was like, I like turned to him like, and I look at it, Garrett, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, here's a card with the Book of Mormon on it. We gotta go. <laughs> I was too fired up. I couldn't feel the spirit like that. The man lied to me. He broke the commandment. He was a sinner, so I called him repentant. Called him repentance right there. Jeez, lied to me. Garrett. I can forget that. Oh, I ain't so never gonna funny. forget that. That is so funny. <laughs> pretty good. I mean, it was a pretty good joke. Pretty good joke at the time. He used to blow out shoes too. Like he would have these. I don't know what it was with that dude's feet, but he would blow out the side of a shoe and all of a sudden be walking be like, oh, flat tire. I got to go buy some shoes. <laughs> like right now? <laughs> yeah. It just blew out on me. How does this happen? I've never even heard of that. It happened to him. And it happened like at least once a transfer. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I mean, that dude ripped through some shoes. He's like, no, I don't buy the nice ones anymore. Nothing survives. Okay. Just go to Asda and get you some shoes to get by, I guess. You blow them out every six weeks, dude. <laughs> like, you got to find a solution to this problem. Uh, and then, um, let's see. One time a kid pulled a knife on us when I was with Garrett. I don't know if he told you that story. He didn't. No, he didn't tell you the story? This is a good one. So we're out in a place called Motherwell, which is like a crappy suburb in Glasgow. And they used to call it Murderwell because there's a lot of crime and what whatnot there. And the bishop was a former uh the bishop was a convert, but before he was a convert, he, you know, he ran enforcement for a couple of the gangs and had a <laughs> reputation. So everybody knew old Bill. This Ooh. is a real thing. He was awesome. My favorite, <laughs> favorite, very, very spiritually intense bishop too. Like super spiritually intense bishop. He did swear from the pulpit, which made me realize that, like, if God really wanted me to stop swearing, he wouldn't have sent me here because nobody even bats an eye when I slip up. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so anyway, we're walking down the street in this, you know, we're knocking on doors or something, and, and this kid, like, gets his backpack and pulls a knife because I think we were, like, waving or saying hi, and he was just, you know, he's, he has like the stupid Burberry hat and the scarf and the track suits thing going on. <laughs> and then as soon as he pulls a knife, Garrett just starts laughing ridiculously loud and like hard belly laughing. Like you're going you're gonna to pull a knife. And he calls him. Oh my gosh. No, and then I start laughing. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and then I start laughing and then he's laughing and then I'm laughing and the kid got so embarrassed he just put his knife away and left <laughs> this was like this is humiliating <laughs> I'm being mocked by two Mormon missionaries who are openly laughing at me in the street holding a knife and then he just he put it in his bag and went home this oh is the weirdest God. thing ever <laughs> Only Garrett would think the first thing come out of his mouth was just a hardcore, louding, belly booming laugh. And this kid was just like, What? Just <laughs> laughing, <laughs> mocking him, make it look like just a complete jerk, like a total wimpy loser. Could just 
Oh man, that's too funny. (laughs) Oh, he was awesome, man. He was good that way. I mean, and that was the thing about like Garrett is that he was just kind of like he he was one of those few people that could make friends that instantaneously that I'd ever met, and that people immediately had like positive fond feelings for. But he was really good at reading people. He just kind of knew what was going on with them where their heads were at, what they were thinking, kind of person they were. Like he just was, you know, he had a gift for it, I guess. That's cool. Yeah, man. And then let's see from there. Oh, I got the Italian, the Sicilian dude. It was like a little pocket-sized missionary, little little guy. And he so, loved karate stuff. That's right. El Aurelio. And, uh, he like was I, I think I killed him. It was the end of his mission. And he was like hardcore hardy isn't hardcore enough for me. You know? <laughs> and and so he and I were like causally just like cool and then not cool. Cool, not cool. Uh but he was pretty good teacher and he was a pretty good missionary to have around because he was a lot more season than me and i had served with kind of two guys that hadn't been out that long i mean mcleod and i weren't that far apart when we got there um and so you know he and i just kind of like got along great but we didn't i didn't have a when you when you serve with somebody at the end of their mission they have all these other extra tricks in their bag and they've they've learned a lot of unique lessons maybe they've developed some some scriptural relationships around the stories and and around the lessons that you didn't know about or something. And so I felt like I actually learned quite a bit from that guy. He was really good at the piano and cause he didn't have, you know, he has like kind of, you know, he had really small hands. You know what I mean? Like he just was a tiny, like he was not a big dude, but he could, he could jam on a piano and his hands were moving so fast. And he was, uh, and he could sing and play the piano. I mean, he was a really musical guy. Like he was, he was kind of a talented dude. Um, and then uh, I think he went home and was like, when he wrote me a couple times when he went home and showed me pictures of him going to the temple and, you know, doing all the right hardcore stuff. And, you know, I could say a lot of things about, you know, the differences in personality and culture that come from a Sicilian because, you know, they're basically all criminals. And uh, everybody else in the world. But you can't deny that dude had faith in a testimony, right? Like he was, he was a real deal. He was a real deal missionary. Yep. Agreed. And then you and I hung out because, you know, I was in your district and you were, you were serving with, with the weirdest dude ever. Like just the weirdest guy. I mean, that guy was a strange one, right? I mean, he's yep. up there with Elder Money Strange, which Elder Money was spectrum-y. <laughs> I mean, it's the, the most friendly he's a little spectrum yeah um but your companion i remember i had to stay there for a couple weeks remember those couple weeks we spent some time before i finally got my own little greenie to train that's right mm-hmm. yeah you had that um i had i had friction it was unknown to you because it was, it was passive aggressive friction since he would never just talk to me about it but like that he would keep effing with the fridge because he likes like dewy cheese. Like it was never cold enough. The cheese was always dewy, and I was just like, "I'm gonna kill this sob if he does not 
cool this effing fridge off because I'm not going to eat any more gooey cheese. He's ruining all the cheese. <laughs> I remember vividly feeling like I pulled the fridge open and like I just it's too fragrant because it's not cold enough. <laughs> Jeez. You remember? Th- you don't remember this. No, because you live like that. I would have lost, completely lost my mind if I had to do that for more than two weeks. I'm pretty sure Flipped most out. most of my food was in the freezer. You know, I just kept my, I didn't eat fresh food. It was just freezer stuff most of the time. But I don't know. That must have just been something that you and, and John had going between you two. So and I, I, I just kind of stayed out of it. I cool it off. He'd change it. Cool it off, he'd change it. <laughs> and then he got to the point where he's like watching me go to the kitchen to see if I changed it while I was in the fridge. <laughs> Jeez, I, I, mean, don't, I, I don't remember that. Absolutely. Yeah, Crazy. because you weren't part of the game of trying to keep a cold fridge. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a high friction point for me. Cold fridges, I, look, man, everybody's <laughs> got Picadillo. I was that was that was a very challenging period of time. Okay. Oh man! And then, and then I got my uh, my greenie, who was like good at everything, and people wanted him to perform at stuff because he could do all the instruments and the music things. He got to bring his cello, and he had this awesome story because he was an orphan. He got adopted by like a super awesome family, and his dad was a crusher. You know, his dad drove a, a street sweeper every day to pay for everything, and, and bought his kid a, a cello to support him that he probably. Probably wouldn't have been able to afford other than he was just the kind of guy willing to make sacrifices for his kid. You know, it's like that good of a dude. He's that awesome of a dad, right? And I this did, guy, I didn't know that, comes on a mission and brings him. Oh, dude. He used to tell me stories about his family being adopted and what that experience was like and, and how grateful he was that he got awesome parents. And he would just tell me, like, his mom was just, I mean, his parents were just, genuinely righteous good people i mean there's no other way to describe it they were like the real deal christians right not like those like like one of the complaints i have about the people in our uh our religious community is like sometimes they just feel like we're a little too tubware parties and trampolines and not enough like bite you know and he uh he just he talked a lot about how uh how good his family was anyway he came out on a mission, was a super talented kid, had a very mature f- faith, great work ethic, and it was like an awesome, fun transfer. And it almost felt like there was nothing to teach him, really. And because of his natural born skill sets and, and some of his like musical gifts and stuff, he had a way of bringing in um, non-members to like functions and events and family home evenings and firesides. And you know, it was easy to do some of those some of the salesmanship skills that come with being a missionary, it was easier to do it because he was kind of a good excuse to have around, right? Like he was worth coming to see. He was a, he was a good guy and he was good at, good at a whole bunch of different things, especially good at the cello. I think, I mean, he still plays music like for a living. I mean, he's, he's a talented son of a gun. Yep. Zach is, you know? Zach is incredible. <clears throat> I mean, he's ugly in sin, but he's a, he's a good musician. <laughs> He'll appreciate that, I'm sure. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so then we went to, let's see, who, what happened after? So Motherwell, I finally got kicked out of Motherwell, I think, right about then, did I? Yep. 
And then I went to and then went to Elder Blake Bockholt. And that uh, started out a little bit rough at first because he was a weirdo and I was awesome. And sometimes weirdos and awesome just don't click. You know what I mean? It's not a huge deal, but like he's, he's a little weird. So he, uh, he and I would hang out and we'd, we'd get our little dust up hackles and who gets to pick and do what. <laughs> and then uh, all of a sudden, it like clicked, man. Like we just kind of figured out how to work together and it was really, really, really cool. Uh, we taught a lot of people. We were had the unfortunate position of being zone leaders during that time, which is like the worst because you're you're basically like not I would rather I would rather do the plain old missionary work. Like that's what I liked doing. I didn't like dealing with other missionaries as much, if that makes sense. So to me, being a leader was like, I, I just want to go teach people stuff. I don't want to do this, this other stuff. I don't really like it. And I don't really like being in charge. And I don't like responsibility that much. So like, I'll just go do that thing where I like, you know, testify to people and get all the feel goods. And like, you know, that stuff, like I want to do that stuff, but I don't want to deal with like missionary things and other missionaries and their crap. I could not be less than less interested in whatever issues they have about who threw away their honey or you know whether or not they can wear big belts today like i just i don't care i just i came to do that thing and if that's what you're gonna do like you know that's fine but like don't do it in my presence because like, i have this responsibility so i have to do it but i don't even like it and now you're making it worse because i have to do it and so i'm irritated that we're having an exchange you know over whether or not you can wear a purple shirt you know what i mean what area were you guys in? Because I didn't want to have them. <laughs> huh? Do you, remember, do you remember what area you guys were in? Most of it were in Edinburgh in the ward next to the mission hall. Oh, really? Okay. But I think we were in Glasgow too for a little bit. Because <laughs> I think he came to me in. Yeah. He, we were in Glasgow for a little bit first, and then we went to. Went to Edinburgh together. Oh wow! We stayed. I stayed with Apple for like nine months, dude. It's, it seemed like half my mission. Yeah, we did a ladies' floor together. Like he used his carpenter skills, and we we installed their her vinyl laminate flooring at no cost. And I thought to myself, like, there's got to be a rule somewhere that's that like drop line on free service, like somewhere, right? <laughs> Yes. Like if I could tell that somebody was loaded and they're just using missionaries to move their crap because they're being cheap, I, I still get irritated. I'm like, dude, that's not the point. That's you're totally missing the missing the point of the whole service thing. Like you don't need the service. You're just you're being a cheap, cheap wad and it's irritating. Just pay somebody. Don't call that sixty year old dude in the elders corner to come help you. He's gonna throw his back out, you a hole. <laughs> like move your own crap. You know what I mean? Jack and I had that experience. Like if you need it, yeah. <laughs> When when Jack and I served together in Peterhead, we moved an entire house by by ourselves, basically. Oh. <laughs> and we were told the elder scorum was coming, but you know, nobody came. <laughs> nobody came. It was just you. That's right. Yep. Now have you talked to Bachholt yet? 
I've reached out to him, but he's uh, he's not. He has not said he wants to be on the podcast just yet. So it's open to him, but uh, he's not quite for it. Did you call him? Did you call him any names or like shame him in any way? No, because I don't have a relationship with him like you do. Maybe you should call him. I'd say that to anybody who said no to me. <laughs> Maybe I should call him right now. What are you doing, man? I haven't talked to him actually in years. I'd have to I'd have to call him up, kind of feel him out, see if he's like cool or if he's like, you know, going Scottish sensitive or like what's going on. Before I could poke him. <laughs> Jeez. Yep. I was probably not enough to go. <laughs> but yeah, he um he was a good missionary man. We had a good time. We had this moment where like we we agreed to help the elders quorum do a soccer game and they needed some refs and they were playing like a deaf all deaf team and then they got into a fight with the deaf team and punches were thrown and one of our elders quorum members like ran and like two legged drop kicked this like big deaf guy in the chest and he made the funniest sound I've ever heard <laughs> but as missionaries was like I can't laugh but I don't know what to do. <laughs> Right. And it was like a fist fight. So going like, oh man, do I jump in? Do I not jump in? Like, where do I stand on this thing? This is really hard. I've never had to, I should have made this decision before I got here. Why did I think it through? And then I was like too much. And then it, I just ended up standing there making mental notes of all the different sounds that deaf people making a fist fight. And it was the most fun ever. And the best part about it is that instead of like, you know, calling the cops, like we would have, right. Americans would be like, somebody call the cops. They've got the deafs getting beat up. Right. But there, they just, they, you know, they finally broke it up. And then they just kind of were just like, all right, well, I think we're done here. And they just all went home. <laughs> no They just all went home. Dudes with bloody faces. They're like, it happens. You know, sometimes the games get out of control. I'm like, how did you even know to get out of control, though? Like, I was yelling, like, derf and deep and all kinds of sounds. Like, he wasn't even saying anything. <laughs> just was sounding like he was making, like, robot beeps and stuff. Oh my gosh. And I guess they did. <laughs> wow. It, that was pretty wild. Bacol was, <laughs> it buckled, like, got the guard just silence, like, I don't even know what to say, man. Like, how did that even, what happened? <laughs> I got out of control really quick. <laughs> oh, goodness. And then there's this trio of sisters that we would always, I mean, I think we met with them twice a week in the morning before they would go out for their day because they just they just could not get along in a threesome. And in the back of my mind, I'm going like, you can't put three women together. They're never going to get along. You have to keep women in even numbers because they have to pair and click. If you don't do that, it ruins the herd animal dynamics and it starts spinning them out. <laughs> Everybody knows that. So why you put them in three is beyond me, but I don't, I don't know that he had a choice. And the one sister wouldn't wear a deodorant, and that was like a whole thing. Whole thing. <laughs> That I had to get involved in. Jeez. Uh, uh, and I was like, the white handbook says you have to wear deodorant. She's like, I don't wear it. It's killing me. It's got an aluminum. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't think I care, man. You stink. And people don't really want to have you over the house if you stink. Okay. There's protocol, <laughs> social etiquette. And right now, you're gross. You're a straight <laughs> savage. You need to put on deodorant, you know? <laughs> Gosh. And then she's like offended, and it's. I'm gonna go talk to the bishop president about it. Please do. He's the one that told me to come talk to you. <laughs> He's also said 
if she wants to go home, I'm not going to dog her out of it. <laughs> right? Jeez. Anyway, I, I message understood. I'm going high friction personalities do what they do. So that was another reason. Like being a Zolier sucked, man. Being a regular missionary was where I was at. You, you get to go talk to people. You get to teach people. You don't have to do whether or not other missionaries get along with each other and stuff. <laughs> it's true. That stuff was awful. Awful. Jeez. Awful. And then I'm sure hammer times come up. There was, there was the hammer time period yeah. under the uh, APs. So people got really fired up about that. I don't remember many of the details, but there's a whole thing about shirts and tie size and belt buckles. And too many games because apparently there's there was a slew of missionaries that were not working, but amassing and hoarding board games to play. <laughs> I know that because I was zone leader and had to see a lot of those missionaries that were board gaming it up. Or going, you know, running, being like, I, I got to get out of here, dude. This guy's bugging me. And they go, like, for a lone walk. And they're like, they called his own leader. I lost my companion. Like, what'd you do? Like, how do you lose a whole human being? Jeez. You're a, an adult. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I was taking a shower and he just ghosted. So what are you doing? He's in my apartment. We'll go find him. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Jeez. Maybe you just needed a walk because you're irritating. You're irritating to me. I don't even remember who it was anymore. I can't even remember the missionary. Just remember the experience of being like, what the f Why are we talking about this? Do you even look? No? Son of a... <laughs> Jeez. That would be nuts, dude. Nuts. <laughs> I did not like that part of the job. I like teaching. But I don't know. You kind of get what you probably need, not what you want, right? I think that's the moral of the mission story. I got a lot of what I needed. Not a lot of what I wanted, but a lot of what I needed. So were you with Bacholt the rest of your mission? No, I went. Um, so I ended up being his companion until he went home. Oh, wow. He was very emotional. I was his, probably his best friend. Right, let's be honest, his best friend. He's very emotional. And then uh, when he went home, I was sent to Elder Money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ryan Money. Yep. And he ate. I mean, just watching him eat food was like, like, what are you doing with your hands? Why do they operate like that? It's the wildest. <laughs> we got in a fight one day because he was, he, he like got a blister or something in his shoes. I'm not really sure that i understood he mumbled sometimes and he like stuffed the, the back of the shoe underneath his feet and would shuffle <laughs> while he walked and i could handle that for about a block and then i snapped <laughs> and i was like pick up your pick up your effing feet <laughs> oh my gosh and he's like my my heels hurt i got blisters <laughs> and i was like i don't get it. pick them up what area are you the shower anymore i'm gonna lose it <laughs> We're in Glasgow again. Like J Julian Avenue? And then, uh, you know, and he was like, I gotta go to the flat. I can't feel the spirit. 
just too much conflict and contention. I'm like, you're making me contentious. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 the flat, and he just needed to let this, just breathe it out because I was just too yelling at him. You know. Fair enough. <laughs> oh gosh. We go to Memphis' houses, and he he would tell stories about funny things, and I'm just like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, but dude, he was just kind of like that way. Like he just nothing. There's never a high or low. He's really stoic, and he kind of treated life with this kind of like even equanimity across the board, right? And so you add that to like his like some of his like mannerisms and body language cues and some of that stuff. And it was just like, dude, this guy is so crazy to like talk to. And like, what is going on with this guy? Right. He was a completely different kind of person than anybody ever, ever been around. I never met anybody like that. He's like, he would, he would say, and then I'm like, wasn't sure if he was kidding or not, but it was like still funny. So I would laugh sometimes, but then he would be like serious, but, but I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Cause to me, it was just funny. You know, be like, yeah, I'm the best looking person in the mission. Like, that would be the kind of thing you'd say. I'm just, I'm the best looking person in the mission. I'd start laughing because it was dry. <laughs> it was oddly timed. And I was like, that's a great joke. <laughs> like, your timing's awesome. That was phenomenal. <laughs> you know, and then he's like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> My mom has specifically told me I'm good looking. And I know for a fact I'm better looking than everybody on this mission. And I'm sitting there going, like, what? <laughs> you're oh my you're you're that literal of a person you know <laughs> it's wild it was, it was a blast so we fell asleep on the on the bus coming home from a detracting day or something i fell asleep on the bus correction he did not i fell asleep on the bus and he just like didn't wake me up until the bus ended we went to the end of the bus route it's an hour and a half away from our flat and I just snapped, <laughs> flipped out. <laughs> I was so pissed, like, what? How in the, what is wrong with you? Are you just functionally retarded? Like, what the, f man? Like, dude, we're an hour and a half away. It's dark. We're not even going to be back in time for our normal curfew. I'm going to lose my mind. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that was the kind of, the, and that was like, kind of what I remember. <laughs> And then it was like, well, now you're going home. It's like, okay, so it's about, I'm ready. It's about, it's about time. Right? How long were you with other money? I think, I think he, I think it was only with him like a transfer. <laughs> I think it was only with him like a transfer, but it was, it was something, man. <laughs> I mean, at Bachel and I were traveling zone leaders too. So we got to see a bunch of different missionaries. That was pretty, that was kind of fun, but. It was it was not that fun at the same time because when you're a traveling zone leader, it means that you're just dealing with other missionaries. You're not you're not really teaching that that transfer, right? You're not doing normal as much of the normal missionary stuff. Yeah. I just didn't I just never dug that stuff as much. Yeah. It just was like, oh man, I gotta go hang out with these guys. And it's like they're gonna be awkward and stiff because I'm a zone leader, and then that's like a psychological thing. And it's just I don't know, man. You know, it's like meeting a stake president. It doesn't even matter why. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But meeting the stake president seems more serious than meeting with the bishop. 
right? Like, why? I don't know. Because I'm totally the stake president, whatever that is. And it just seems more serious. Like, that's how people treat the zone leaders. And you're like, dude, I didn't want to do that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to be in charge of this. I don't want to be in charge. That's why Bacho was great, because he loved being in charge. He was good at being in charge. I was not, he was not made for being in charge. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't have those skills. So, Ren, t- tell us about your memories. I mean, the majority of your mission was with the Fredericks. What What are your memories of them as well as President and Sister Vreens? You kind of touched on them already as well. Well, President and Sister Vreens were really there just kind of that first six months of my mission, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know that I really ever got to like create a, a deep connection with them because it was too close to the end. And I was... I was kind of shuffled off to the Shetlands and kind of far away from the mission home. So I didn't have any opportunity to really interact with them more than that kind of first meeting. And then when I came back into the mission home before getting sent back out to Motherwell, I had, you know, a day or two where I kind of got to interact with them. Right. Um, I would say president Vreen's felt just in a personality sense, he was very different than president Fredericks. President Fredericks was a lot more, had a, had a much more business oriented mindset in the way that he approached the mission. Right. Yeah. And president Vreen, I would say was kind of a, you know, he would use a loud voice and yell, but he's kind of like all over the map of the feelings. And it was all about these kind of, I think he was a very feelings led decision maker and leader is, a, is probably the way I'd put it. And he had kind of a, a paternal, kind of way about the way that he interacted with people. He'd hug you. He was a big guy and he just kind of felt like fatherly in a way. Yeah. President Frederick to me was just a lot more like kind of, he had a a focused kind of personality. He seemed, I wouldn't say serious, but it was focused and driven and like CEO like, right? Like we're doing this. This is the objective. This is the vision and we're driving at the vision. And it was a driver personality. And that shifted like it changed the culture of the mission dramatically. For some kids, I don't think that they dug it. I think for some, because, you know, all of us responding to cues from the mission president, but especially leaders where they're having more access and coaching, you know, from the mission president than, than folks that are not in leadership roles. <clears throat> but that, that I, I would say texture of a personality kind of starts coming out in the leadership. And I think that focused intensity for some missionaries was, was actually hard. I think a lot of them struggled with it, especially for the first little while. And mm-hmm. and I think there's some that just never they totally felt like they embraced it or bought in. I, I would call it buy-in. Like you have to choose to be into something, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that was kind of the difference, but you know, I think what I remember most come out in his garments in the morning. President Fredericks would come out in the garments in the morning and just walk outside, enjoy the fresh air. And just, just was like, it's just another day. That's what I do. I walk out the garments, I get the newspaper, I go back in the house. <laughs> I was like, the moment I saw that, I was like, this guy's a legend. Just, a, just a legend. Just, just owning it. Didn't care. <laughs> Left mile down here didn't, didn't give a crap that's what i do i love that uh he was really really into sports and loved seeing missionaries compete so he loved kind of encourages some p days to come play like baseball and stuff in the yard because he like he liked watching the missionaries compete he liked that 
competitive, athletic drive, and he liked mm-hmm. to observe it in people. Yeah. He liked seeing people excel at things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, he had a lot of energy though, though. Like he was a, he was an old guy, like they're all old, but like, he was like old and just like, you know, hyper, like always energy, bright eyed, very energetic kind of guy. Like he never seemed fun along or tired or stiff or sore or any of that. And just seemed super healthy and hale all the time. Hmm. I love it. <laughs> And then we went to his house later after the mission for a meetup and all of his kids are like six, three D one athletes with blonde hair and square chins. And I was like, what'd you just breed superheroes, dude? You got like 11 of these dudes. Like, how does that even happen? She's like, Oh yes. I used to have two fridges all for whole milk, only whole milk. And cream. Oh my gosh. Every day. I'm like, what? That guy's doing like Zeus. It's crazy. I'm laughing because <laughs> I ran into the Fredericks after the mission and I saw all their sons and I was like, Oh my gosh, these guys, exactly as you just described, they are all just monsters yeah, of men. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so, like suspiciously giant, right? Yeah. They made, know, they made, stuff in them they made president Frederick look tiny. Like, and he was not a small man. You know, he was built like a tank. I mean, like old dude tank, which still means like bony in weird spots, but I don't know what you mean. Jeez. <laughs> like, you know how when people get older, they just get randomly bony parts of their body that didn't seem bony before? Just like when you're like in that weird, hey, we got to work all the time because this is our window to make some money and put, put a retirement away kind of thing. It's like everybody gets a little bit fat. <laughs> and, then, and then we get old and we get random bony places. <laughs> like their elbows? Like their shoulders and elbows and like, you know, the hip, like a hip bone sticking out. <laughs> Jeez. What happened to that guy? Oh, he's getting old. He's starting to show us chicken wings, man. We don't know. It's just what happens. Oh, man. Well, Ren, man, I, I haven't <laughs> haven't stopped laughing the whole time we've been talking. Is there anybody else as we're continuing in our conversations that you want to call out that needs to be on the podcast in the future? Have you gotten Martin on? Yeah, he's been on. Oh, yeah, that's right. I actually have his downloaded. I was going to listen to it on my flight today. Um, That's why he was on your mind. Talk to McLeod. I know. That's probably probably why, actually. I was like, oh, man, that was a good one. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Bjorka was always an interesting guy. Yeah. Our homie, our Dutch homie, that was like uh, Elder Jensen, looked looked like Arnold. Like yeah. he was a good dude, <laughs> and he he like after the mission too. Like he had a different life for a while. Like he'd be an interesting guy, interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, because <laughs> he he was a happy every day. That guy was stoked all the time. He was never miserable. Never like bummed out. Just like man, like we're working hard and having a great time. This is awesome. <laughs> like he was. Awesome to be around. Agreed. Um, yeah, I would get Elder Yance if you could. He was he was fun. Awesome. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely reach out to those. I have talked to to Daniel Bjorka, and he's he's kind of the fence sitter right now. He's not quite sure if he wants to come on, so I'll continue to push and see if we can get him on. <laughs> 
because I served around him for a period of time at the beginning of my mission and we had a lot of fun. So, dude, I think, I think people that won't come on here and help you out are probably sodomites, to be honest. (laughs) Jeez Louise. Hard sodomites. (laughs) Guaranteed. I don't think that's true. Come on. It's probably true. You probably wear jorts and have top knots. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Ren, thank you for coming on and spending time with us tonight. And uh, I know that those that listen will just love being back in the presence of Ren Hardy for an hour and 20 minutes or so. <laughs> it's been great. Right on, man. All right, brother. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Love it. Love you. Have Cheerio, a good one. Mate. Bye.